Amen. If you remain standing with us as we read God's word together from the Gospel of Luke, let us hear now these words of Jesus. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today marks the final day of our sermon series, Christ for a Change. We've been in the month of January, we've been considering taking on Christ for a change. We acknowledge the fact that many times in January and in this new year, we take on New Year's resolutions that don't necessarily stick. And so what would it look like to take on Christ for a change, to invite Christ to live in our lives? And that might actually create a change worth making. As we've been going throughout this month, we've been asking ourselves different questions. We started this series by considering what's keeping us. What's keeping us from creating a dependent relationship on Jesus Christ? Is it the dependence? Is it fear? Is it, is it our own will? Whatever it is, we were invited to lay that aside, to put that away so that we might follow Christ, that we might become dependent upon him. After that, we considered repentance, what it meant to turn around and go the other way. Last week, we asked ourselves what felt wrong. We considered the fact that Although many times we feel like the right thing should feel right, many times it doesn't because we've been doing the wrong thing for so long. And so we considered what actually felt wrong, and maybe that would be the right thing to do. Today is a little different. Today, we're talking about death. Death is an important step in change. But it's not just a step in change, it is the step in change. If you have your sermon notes with you, I'd invite you to take those out. You'll notice that it has a scripture on the back and a place for you to write your notes on the other side. Um, I hope that throughout, as we hear God's word together, that you might write down some notes that you feel God is speaking to you, that you would take these home with you and consider these throughout the week, that this might be a blessing to you. But tonight we talk about death. We read Jesus' words inviting the disciples to deny themselves, to take up their cross daily and follow him. That any who seek to save their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for the sake of Christ will save it. Now, I have to be honest, while I was preparing this message, I was actually tempted to preach another sermon. So I I actually, in my mind, kind of have two sermons. There's the sermon that I want to preach. And that sermon is kind of easy for me. It's, It's easier to understand, and it's really the one that I would have liked to have given tonight. But then there's the sermon that I believe has to be preached. And I think just to kind of understand this, I, I, I want to tell you the sermon that I'm not going to preach tonight. I, I just, just bear with me for a second because I, I, I hope this is a blessing. If I was to preach the sermon that I wanted, if I was to preach the sermon that I'm not going to preach tonight, we would focus on verse 23. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. So we would talk about what our cross is. I would tell you that all of us have pains in this life. All of us have those things that bother us. Whether it's a neighbor or your family or your job or your health or whatever it is, all of us have that thing in our life, that, those pains and those sufferings. And, and Jesus calls that our cross. And we're called to take that up and to, to bear up with one another and to follow Jesus together. The good news is that Jesus also bore his cross 
not just literally, but figuratively. Jesus was not only crucified, he not only suffered the pains of crucifixion, but Jesus suffered the pains of normal, everyday life. Jesus was both fully God and fully human. He was the Christ, the Messiah. And because he was fully God and fully human, because he came born of a virgin, because he was born into this earth, he suffered human pain. He not only suffered the pain of crucifixion, but he suffered the pain of putting up with neighbors, of, of putting up with family. He, he eventually, I'm sure, suffered hunger pains and knew what it was like to hunger and to thirst. Jesus suffered those pains, and because he did that, he blessed them. So the good news is that when we suffer, when we have those pains in our everyday life, the good news is that Jesus suffered alongside us. Jesus blessed those sufferings and lets us know that we are not alone, that Jesus suffers with us. That's the sermon I'm not going to preach. Because I think that I could tell that sermon. I, I, I could preach that sermon, and, and we might find some encouragement from that. We might be sitting here and, and, and think that that was nice, and you might even leave and shake my hand and say, you know, fine sermon, and, and, and you would get in your car and you would go home and, well, we would not be changed. We would hear those words that, that Christ suffers alongside us, and, and we would shrug our shoulders maybe and say, yeah, okay, and we would go home and there would be nothing about our lives that would be altered because of Christ. And I don't think that's what Jesus came to do. But in fact, we read throughout the Gospels, Jesus coming into lives and messing things up. What we read throughout the Gospel is, is Jesus coming into towns, pulling out those who were the least and the lost, putting them in front of everyone and, and, and ruining everyone's life and saying, this is different. So then I feel called to the sermon that, well, I don't want to preach. Because it's the sermon that is preached to me more than anyone else. Jesus tells the disciples, if anyone to follow me, they should deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me daily. And in fact, Jesus continues by telling them that if they try to save their life, they will lose it. But if, if they lose their life for the sake of Christ, then they will find it. Now, I wonder, when Jesus says this, what if it wasn't a metaphor? Right? What, what if Jesus isn't speaking figuratively? The disciples, those people to whom Jesus was speaking, they were not scholars. Right? These are not the religious leaders. These are not the people who, who spent time in synagogues or in the temple. They didn't spend time as kids growing up learning about figurative language. These are laborers. These are, these are fishermen, tax collectors. These are people who, who are hard workers, but they're not scholars. And so when Jesus tells them to take up their cross to follow him, I, I wonder if, if they took that literally. Now, I'm sure Jesus didn't have a pile of crosses laying in front of him, but I believe that they knew what he meant. The disciples, they, they knew what a cross was. A cross was a popular form of Roman persecution. In fact, the cross served two purposes. One purpose was to punish the person who committed the crime. But the cross also deterred people from committing that same crime. 
Because when people were crucified, they were not crucified in private. But they were crucified maybe in the public square or, or on major thoroughfares or even put up upon a hill so that everyone might see them. And then, in fact, there was often a sign put above the person's head so that everyone could know why this person was being crucified. That if somebody was traveling and they, and they saw this person suffering extreme agony, they could read this sign and associate that crime with this agony and they might be deterred from that crime. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to do this. What if that's not metaphorical? The disciples were called to lay down their lives. And in fact, Christian tradition holds that 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith, and meaning that they died in defense of the faith. But there's an extreme likelihood that a lot of us here aren't going to be forced into that situation. There's a very high likelihood, in fact, that us gathered here are not going to be put in a situation in which we are going to be challenged on our faith. Even living in Oklahoma, we, we find it pretty easy to be Christian. We find it pretty easy to practice our faith openly. In fact, when we gather here for worship, we don't fear for our lives. All around the world, there are people who come together, who pray each and every time they come to worship that the government won't find them or that the people chasing them won't hear their songs of praise to God. That there are people around the world who are dying for their faith. But there's a likelihood that well, we won't be challenged to do that. So I think our invitation is a little different this evening. Our invitation is to die, but not in the way we at first think. When I was in college, um, I, I kind of did the, the typical college thing. I, uh, I, I, as a freshman, I stopped cutting my hair, and so I, I grew my hair a little shaggier than, uh, than my mother liked, and, and I, I grew um, a goatee, uh, just barely though, and my mom called it chin fuzz, and uh, I had a little bit of chin fuzz, and, 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 and I kind of liked being this kind of, well, hippie, right? My, my dad said that I looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, and uh, that was fun to go home to every Friday, and, and so... While I was kind of going through this phase, I was kind of doing the typical college thing, and, and, and I started to learn about pacifism. And, and, and I got really interested in it, and, and I would kind of engage others in debates pretty often about pacifism. And I was a youth director at the time, and so I thought I would lead a Bible study on Wednesday night about pacifism in the Bible. And so I, you know, studied up on all the scriptures that I was going to use, and I, and I had this great big presentation ready. And so finally came time for Wednesday night, and I went to the Bible study, and I started to argue for my ideas on pacifism in the Bible. And I read this passage out of Matthew chapter 25, the passage of Jesus being arrested. Matthew writes, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him, with a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you are here to do. 
Then they suddenly came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the ear of the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. So I read this passage, and and in another translation, Jesus said, All who live by the sword will die by the sword. And I thought that was so cool, and I, and I started to use this passage, and I, and I was talking about pacifism, and, and, and all who live by the sword will die by the sword. And, and one of the youth raised his hands, and his name was David. He was about 14, and, and he raised his hand, and he stood up, and he said, I, I don't think this is about pacifism. I said, oh, really, what do you think it's about? And this 14-year-old said, I think Jesus is saying that anything we choose to live by, we should be willing to die by. This was about much more than just war, but this was about life. Anything we choose to live by, we should be willing to die by. What do we live by? Is it work? Is it our home? Is it the things that we have? Another way to say this is that we are never truly alive until we find a reason to die. We are never truly alive until we find a reason to die. And the good news in Jesus Christ is that death is not just death. Death is so much more than that. When we become Christian, we are baptized. This is an ancient Christian sacrament, and it symbolizes so many things. But it symbolizes this death. It symbolizes this thing that we do in Christ. Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. That we who claim the Christian faith, we who have been baptized, have have died and have risen again with Christ. That we have taken on that death. That it is no longer our death, but it is Christ's death. That it is no longer our life, but it is Christ's life. That it is no longer our glory, but it is Christ's glory. That we are called to live each and every day, discerning how to better die in Christ. Now here's the thing about what Jesus says. In, in Luke chapter 9, we read this passage. Uh, this passage came out of uh, Luke chapter 9, the one we started with. Just a little while earlier, a few verses earlier, Jesus does this miracle with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is doing his ministry, and he's preaching and teaching and doing miracles, and people start to hear about it, and they gather around him. And the Bible tells us that at one point, there were so many gathered around around him that there were 5,000 men. 
which means that there were probably not only men, but, but their spouses and their children, that there were probably ten to 12,000 people gathered around Jesus at this time. And Jesus is performing his ministry, and he's teaching, and he's healing people. And, and it comes late into the evening, and the disciples say, Jesus, send these people away so that, so that they can go find food. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, you feed them. The disciples look back at Jesus and say, we, we don't have enough food to feed all of these people. What do you mean, feed them? Jesus says, well, what do you have? The disciples gather all the, all the supplies they have, and they turn to Jesus, and they say, we have five loaves and two fishes, two fish. And Jesus takes it from them, and, and he gives thanks to God for this meager sustenance that they have in light of these ten to 12,000 people. He gives thanks to God for this meal that they have, and, and he blesses it, and he starts to hand it out to the disciples, and, and the disciples start to take it out to the people, and what they find is that this meal is being multiplied so that these people all can be fed, and, and, and everyone has their full and even more than, and, and the disciples start then gathering up the, the food that's left, and what they find is that they have 12 baskets left of food. This amazing miracle is celebrated with all of these people. And then just a few verses later, Jesus says, Anybody who wants to follow me must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. That if they try to save their life, they'll lose it. But if they lose their life for the sake of Christ, that they'll find it. And then just two verses earlier, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration where he reveals himself to be the Christ. And the only people that follow him up there are Peter, James, and John. That in one chapter, Jesus went from 12,000 people to three. Because the truth is, there's a difference between being a fan of Christ and a follower. The reason this sermon is so hard for me to preach it's because I love being a fan. I realize the irony as I'm asking you to die to yourself that, that I'm standing here in, in the lights on the chancel with all the eyes and the ears on me that I realize the irony of the fact that as I'm asking you to give up your ego, mine is being fulfilled. What I am truly called is to give that up to Christ. Jesus was not worried about Jesus was, it's even hard for me to say. Jesus fed the 12,000 people. But he was not worried about who liked him, that he was even willing to say that they must die themselves, that they must give up their lives for the sake of the gospel. And when he said that, they all left. That by the time the rubber met the road by the time he was crucified, that there was no one left around him, that Jesus was never worried about that, that he was only worried about preaching the gospel. The truth is that I want to stand here in front of you and preach an okay sermon that you will listen to and that you'll say, good job and go home. We might leave our lives unchanged. But the truth is, Jesus Christ calls us all to die for him, that we might not die in our own self, but we would die with him, that we might rise with him, that our very lives would be spent giving glory and honor and praise to him. That's a much harder sermon to preach. 
And it's a much harder sermon for me to hear. There's a story of a man who grew up in the country. His name was Frank, and he traveled to Europe. And when he got to Europe, he visited the beautiful cathedrals there. And as he took a tour through these cathedrals, he listened to the tour guide as the guide talked about the statues and the the ornate paintings and the marble floors and all of these beautiful things. And they finally stopped at at the cross in in the center of the sanctuary. And it it was beautiful and ornate. It had jewels all over and it was was beautifully lit and all of these things. And the tour guide was talking about this, this beautiful cross that was there. And Frank smiled as he looked up at it and said, 2,000 years ago, you could get one of those for free. That the cross is not just something that is beautiful, that the cross is an invitation to come and to die. That we are called to give up of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. It's hard to say and it's hard to hear. But the truth is, death is the foundation of change. That if we are going to change anything about our lives, something in us must die. Must remain forever changed so that we might have hope for life anew. Your action step, if you want to write it in, it's die so that Christ may live. Amen. Let us pray. I am no longer my own, Lord, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am yours and you are mine. God, we pray that we might have the power to lay ourselves aside for your gospel. That there might be something in us that would die so that you may live. That we would not die as we think it, Lord, but we would die and rise anew with you. God, we want to do it, but we can't do it alone. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who gave us this power to die and rise again. We remember him as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.